Well, it's nice to be with you this evening, and I hope you're, you've been blessed so far in our service. Let's open our Bibles at Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to study these 13 verses. We have a lot to get through, so let's pray for God's help now as we meet together. Father, uh, we uh, have your word before us, and we're privileged. We know it. We already have been blessed by the very reading of your word. Now, we pray you will bless us through the preaching of your word, and may you be honored and glorified as we study together. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I don't know if you have ever set out to do a job or perhaps even start a conversation and uh, you get sidetracked. Apparently, this gets worse as we get older. The distractions can be sometimes mundane, um, frivolous, might be a phone call, for instance, or a notification on our social media if we do that kind of thing, or maybe just we daydream, you know, we just lose concentration. It can happen so easily. It can happen to the best of us. And in fact, in many ways, it happened to Paul. What we have here in verses 2 to 13 um, is um, a digression uh, in Paul's thinking, um, an interruption in what he was planning to do, an interlude, we might say, because Paul wants to pray for them, and especially he wants to pray that the Ephesian Christians would understand the multidimensional aspects of the love of God. Eventually, he gets to that in verse 14, but he begins in verse 1 and then suddenly stops. And you'll notice the little dash there at the end of verse 1, and you'll, as in most of the versions of the Bible, it's almost as if he gets interrupted in this thought pattern. It's a vital, important digression. Eventually, he gets to the prayer in verse 14, as I've said, but verses 2 to 13 are an important interlude for the Ephesian Christians and for us. Verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. But the very statement that he's just made triggers off a reaction in Paul's mind, and so he presses the pause button on his prayer, and uh, he spends some time to explain exactly why he is a prisoner because his readers might ask a number of questions after that, saying, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. The, the questions could go a wee bit like this. Um, why are you suffering this way, Paul? Or it could be, Paul, is it worth suffering this way for anything? Anything. What's going on, Paul? Why are you a prisoner? And the result of actually answering these kinds of questions gives us one of the best descriptions of ministry anywhere in the Bible. And tonight, if you want to know what is our business, what is our work, if you really want to know what we're supposed to be about in the church, then here is the answer. And it's in these three M's, our message, our ministry, and our mission. We should be encouraged tonight, I hope. Challenged, perhaps, yes. Because I suppose the thing we've got to ask ourselves is this. Does our view of and practice of ministry line up with the text that's before us? In other words, what do we think of ministry? What do we think the point of ministry is? What, what are we here to do? What is our job? 
if it doesn't line up with this text of Scripture, then I think we need to examine ourselves and we need to change. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Nobody, I think, would volunteer to suffer like this. I don't think there's too many of us would say, yes, put me in prison for Jesus. Would anybody do that? Some have actually worked out that at this stage, Paul could have well have been a prisoner for five years. For five years. Imagine that. When you go through something like this, bad things can happen. When you suffer like this for the sake of the gospel, things can start to enter your, your mind, your thinking. You could perhaps begin to doubt God. We thought about that this morning, did we not, with uh, John the Baptist. It's funny how we have two guys in prison morning and evening uh, asking similar kinds of questions. When you suffer like this, you, you begin to say, God, what are you doing? Maybe you start to question doctrines like the sovereignty of God. Is God really in control? Chaos can break all around us. We know that, don't we? If we faithfully live for and evangelize for Jesus, what, what have we been learning in Matthew 10 and Matthew 11? Yeah, bad things can happen. Are we ready for that? But notice verse 13. We've looked at verse 1. Let's look at verse 13. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, my imprisonment, etc., for you which are your glory. Don't be discouraged. Do not lose heart. So verse 1 and verse 13, in a sense, are like bookends, and in between we have the sound doctrine, this teaching about the purpose of the church. So let's think again. Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. If you know the story of Acts, and you know the story goes a wee bit like this, we're trying to abbreviate something that takes a long, long time for Acts to tell, but it started in Jerusalem, and then it went to Caesarea, and then the appeal to Rome, and then the shipwreck, and eventually he arrives in Rome, and he's under house arrest in Rome. But why is he a prisoner? Well, we're, we're told two things about why he's a prisoner. You'll notice that he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and he's a prisoner for the sake of you Gentiles. That's why he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He's not a prisoner of Nero or Agrippa or Felix, or Festus, or the Jews, or the Roman Empire. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's who he belongs to. You see, the whole purpose of his life is wrapped up in Jesus. He's totally committed to Jesus, to the gospel of Jesus, to the church of Jesus. And his statement is this, whatever your will is, Jesus, I will receive that will. Whatever you give me, I will do. I am yours forever, Jesus. So he's not a, a victim of uh, government persecution. He's a servant of Jesus. 
And that, by the way, I think is a very, very good way to look at life, isn't it? Because many of us, I suppose many of us who maybe live more in the dark side than in the bright side, we, we, some of us are like that, aren't we? we? We know that. We find it easy to despair in life, don't we? And some of us actually, if we're truthful, and we need to be truthful, is that we, we have pity parties when we think of what life has given to us. And so if life at work is miserable, or if we're physically sick, or if we're weak, or if we're suffering from financial worries, or there's family issues, and the list goes on, doesn't it? It's easy to be burdened by it all. But if we are in Christ, then we've got to remember He's in control, that we're in His hands, and He rules the universe. So that changes the whole way we look at things. The work, the sickness, the financial worries, the family issues, because we are in Christ Jesus. We're of Christ Jesus. And notice the second reason why he's a prisoner, for the sake of you Gentiles. You see, if we receive the gospel, as, as Paul did, we are to share the gospel. That's true for Paul. That's true for us. We just can't take it, you know, and, and then keep it to ourselves or hoard it. I hear people are starting to hoard stuff already because they're scared that the supermarkets are going to run out of things. Hoarding, hoarding. But Christians, sadly, hoard, don't we? But we're to share it for the sake of you Gentiles. That's why I'm a prisoner, says Paul. I'm a prisoner of him, and I'm a prisoner for you. So what actually are we to share? Well, that brings us to our first point. We have three points, and you'll know what they are. I should really ask you, but it's up in the head. It's been there all evening. The message. That's what we're to share. The message. We see that in verses 2 to 6. Let's read these verses again. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. You'll notice there how Paul describes it, the word mystery. And he is mentioned there uh, three times, verses 3, verses 4, and verses 6. The idea of Jews and Gentiles becoming one in Christ Jesus was so new, was so far-reaching, it's called a mystery. Every nation now, every color, every class, every creed can come to Jesus. Before it was only Jews, remember? Now, all nations, it's a mystery, once hidden, now made known. And of course, the source is important, verses 2 and 3. The source is by revelation by revelation. In other words, the source is from God. There are all kinds of uh, values and principles around today 
in our world, all kinds of opinions and beliefs from all kinds of sources. And they might be from the, all kinds of, uh, from the media, from the scientific world, from the world of education. They can be from all kinds of sources. We must ask the question, where did the gospel come from? I mean, this message that we believe, this message that we preach, where did it come from? Well, it didn't come from human opinion. Uh, it's not man-made. It's not from tradition, even the tradition of the church or the tradition of religion. It comes from God Himself, disclosed truth. Let's read verses 2 and 3 again. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. Do you know what this means, brothers and sisters? If you have heard the gospel, and if you believe the gospel, and if you possess the gospel, then you have an enormous treasure directly from God. This revelation of Jesus Christ comes from God. You'll notice verse 4 and verse 5 about the substance. If the source is by revelation from God, then the substance is the mystery of Jesus Himself. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Oh, yes, He is the mystery revealed. In every page of Scripture, in every book of the Bible, in the Psalms, in the histories, in the prophecies, in the Proverbs, in the love songs, in the law, and the epistles, and the gospels, Jesus is everywhere, and Jesus is everything. Oh, many in the world today, even many within the church, would like a message that's shaped by culture, or um, changes with each situation, with each generation. Many would like a message that uh, reveals the agenda of this particular age in which we live. They would like a message that's short and easy and man-centered, wouldn't they? They would like a message that makes us laugh or makes us happy or makes us feel good about ourselves. That kind of message would be popular. But that's not the message that's been given to us by God. The message is Jesus. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, verse 4, the mystery of Christ. And this mystery is now knowable in Him, which has not been made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets, verse 5. This is our message. He is our message. The source is God. The substance is Jesus and the recipients, we might say, that's the third little part in this first point, is that recipients are all the nations. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Not just some, not just the Jews, but all Gentiles and Jews. By the way, it was this idea that got Paul into trouble in the first place. Do you remember the story in Acts 22? This is what we read in verse 21. 
This is his second testimony to what happened to him in his conversion. Verse 21 of Acts 22 says, Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. We would say nothing wrong with that, eh? Verse 22, The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. Why? Because he dared say that the gospel is for people like us as well as for the Jews. You see, the nations need the gospel message. The lost need the gospel message. And here we see in in verse 6 how the Gentiles are described, fellow heirs of the Father, fellow members of one body, and fellow sharers of the promises of Jesus. This is radical, a radical message. So, So radical, it's called a mystery. But it comes from God by revelation, revealing Jesus to people like us. That's the message. Do you know, constantly, we need to get excited about our message. I think John mentioned that in his prayer tonight again. It certainly uh, caught my attention. We do. We need to get excited about the gospel message because how will others believe the gospel if they think we're bored by the gospel? Let's be excited about the message. That's what we're about. That's why we're here. Secondly, we've got the ministry, verses 7 to 9. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things." To be involved in ministry, says Paul, was a gift of grace. You'll notice that he says that twice, verse 7 and verse 8. Let's continue to marvel not just at our message, but at the ministry that we're called to. Now, ministry is not easy. We know that, don't we? It's getting harder as the, the days go by. The burdens and demands on volunteers, as well as those who might be employed by the church, is growing. The opposition and the cost can be immense. And we know that all of us are uh, prone to pride on one hand when things go well, or despair on the other hand when things are not going so well. All of us are apt to pretense or foolishness. We, we can burn out, grow cold, run away. That can happen. So what are we supposed to say to each other um, when the going gets tough, when people look like giving up, and when it becomes worrisome and painful? What should you say if I suddenly get tired of ministry and I just want to give up? What should I say to you if you just want to give up? Well, I think we should remind ourselves of verse 7 and 8, shouldn't we? I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am Less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, there's a sermon or two even in those two verses. Now, this applies, of course, to Paul 
and personally, but it applies to me, to the staff, to the elders, to the volunteers at this church and every other church. It's a grace gift. Ministry, for all its burdens, for all its costs, for all its pain, even ending up in prison, is a gift of grace. So not only do we have to get excited about the message, we've got to get excited about ministry. It is a gift of grace. So when you're invited to take part in ministry, you should say, wow, a grace gift has been given to me. God has given me a grace gift. To do what? Verse 8, to share the unsearchable riches of Christ with people. Can I ask you, is there anything sweeter in all the world than that? Is there anything better to spend your time doing than that, to tell people about Jesus, to proclaim his good news? Oh, yeah, we can feel small and weak and weary, and there's many other things that we're called to do in life as well as do this. There's a multitude of distractions around us. But folks, we are to do this. And we can do this with our families, and with our church, and with our world. It's a gift of grace. And we need to get excited, not just about the message, but about ministry. And notice that he, he describes himself in verse 8. We haven't time to cover absolutely everything. I would love to have done this section in about four sermons, but they are. Verse 8, the least of all God's people. You see how he describes himself? And it's not false humility. He may say, oh, come on, Paul. You're the greatest Christian who ever lived. No. He didn't call himself little or even less. He called himself least. In fact, he created a new word, as Paul tends to do, leaster. There's no such word, but that's what he said. I'm the leaster of all God's people. Why? Because he never forgot where he came from. He never forgot where he came from. A hater of Christ, a persecutor of the church, a murderer of Stephen. He never forgot that. And he never forgot that Jesus saved him from his sins and called him and equipped him for ministry. And that's why in Romans 1, he feels, he says, I am obligated. I'm obligated to preach and to teach the gospel to all peoples. The gift of grace. Ministry is a gift of grace. And folks, like Paul, we should never forget where we came from. Never forget where you came from, folks. Never. I think sometimes when we get, we're saved a number of years, we forget where we came from. Remember chapter 2, verse 1 to 3? We were dead. We were enslaved. We were condemned. Never forget that. That's why it's there. Never forget that. And never forget what Jesus has done for you. He has saved you from that. He's brought you to life. He set you free. He has made you his child. And the obligation that was in Paul's life is on my life and yours too. By grace we're saved. By grace we're called to be fishers of men. You see that? The ministry is by his grace. The grace given me. Do you see ministry like that? 
Or is it a kind of a, do I have to? They're always looking for volunteers. Do I have to? It's a grace gift, folks. But you notice it's also in his power. Time's marching on, and I'm only halfway through. I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Of course, we bring our natural abilities. We bring our personalities. We bring our character. But it's his power that works in and through us. The energy that we have for ministry is from him. So when we love, when we serve, when we evangelize, when we teach, when we lead, it's his power surging through us. Do you get that? Surging through us. So his grace calls us and his power enables us. And he, therefore, is worth giving up everything for, even our very freedom, even our very lives. William Borden, the, um, the uh, missionary who died at a very early age, inside his Bible when he died, he had three wor- or six words written, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. That's ministry. That's what God calls us to. Lastly, our mission, verses 9 to 13. Verse 9, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Folks, we cannot change the world by politics or by any other ideology. Only the gospel will change the world and save the world. And do you know what we're supposed to do, folks? There it is in verse 9, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, to make plain. That's what we're to do, so that people might be saved. We want to see sinners saved as we make plain to them the message of Jesus. We're to go to all the nations, to the ends of the earth, to make plain to everyone the mystery of Jesus. All people everywhere, everyone, everywhere, every time. That means across the table at home, doesn't it? That means across the desk at work. That means across the street where you live. That means across the divide in our land. That means across the world to all nations. John Wesley was banned from the um, many if not all, the Anglican pulpits in the 1730s, Judy said, I look on all the world as my parish. The world is our parish. So we go to the lost. We tell them of Jesus. We see them saved by him. We marvel when they become disciples of Jesus Christ and then disciple-making disciples. This is our mission, to see sinners saved. That's what we're called to do. That's what we should really get excited about. Not just the ministry, and not just the message, but the actual mission. Verse 9, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. To do this, to fulfill this mission, is worth anything and everything. Now, one writer, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful to him, sinners saved, and the second one, 
Satan silence. This is also our mission. This is absolutely fantastic. This is the key verse. Pauline was reading this out in, in, at the home this afternoon, and she said, verse 10 is the key verse. Isn't it, Alistair? And I said, yep, it is. Certainly it is. His intent was that now, notice, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Do you know what our mission is to? To see sinners saved, but to see Satan silenced. The church. The church's mission. Read it again. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Where do we see the phrase rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms used elsewhere in Ephesians? Yeah? Chapter 6. Our war is not against flesh and blood, says Paul, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? When the church believes and proclaims the God-given message of Jesus Christ, when the church accepts the grace-called and empowered mission from God, then Jews and Gentiles are saved, and satanic forces are made to realize that our God is real, that His wisdom is right, and that His plan is perfect. Oh yes, sinners are saved, and Satan is silenced. This is our great mission. church. Brothers and sisters, church, this is what we're to be about. Oh, it's, it's not just a matter of keeping our heads down and trying to survive in the war. I think there's so many of us, that's what we're thinking, as long as I keep going, as long as I keep, I'm holding on tight. No! No! Our mission is to see sinners saved and Satan silenced. And Jesus came and ministered in his life and resurrection, his life and death and resurrection, so that God's wisdom to evil forces would be revealed, verse 11, according to his eternal purpose, when he what, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, folks, as we kind of come to conclusion, when we proclaim our message, when we engage in our ministry, when we fulfill our mission, people are saved, young and old, near and far, religious and irreligious, and the devils and his minions are stunned into silence as they witness the wisdom and victory of Jesus. Let's see the summary of it all. Our message is from God about Jesus. Our ministry is by His grace and with His power, and our mission is to see sinners saved and, and Satan silenced. That's the summary of the ministry that we're called to, the work that we're called to. Is your, is your view of what we're about as a church, does it fit with that? Anything less is... Failure. It's futile. But you say, I'm frightened. Oh, I like the idea of all of that. Um, but I'm weak. I'm poor. I'm shy. 
And that's understandable because, you know, if this is right, and it is right, then this is going to affect not just what's going on in the world, it's going to affect what goes, goes on in, the, in the, the, the eternal affairs, even in the very, very pits of hell. I mean, this is important. So, yes, we have every right to be frightened in our own strength, fearful in our own power. But look at verse 12. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. Freedom and confidence is exactly what I need. It's what you need. It's what we need. In Jesus, in him, fears, excuses melt away. Weakness is replaced with strength and foolishness with wisdom. All the resources we need will be given. And because of that, Paul can say in verse 13, never give up. Never, ever, ever give up. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Are you gripped by this, folks? Friends, are you, are you say this, this is what I want to give my life to. This is what it's all about. The message, the ministry, the mission. It's worth being a prisoner for. It's worth being a servant of. It's worth our time, our effort, our prayer, and our trust. Yes, these verses are a bit of a digression, but what a digression. Aren't we thankful for it? I certainly am. One of the best descriptions of what we're supposed to be as a church. What an encouragement. What a challenge. And if you are encouraged or challenged, I'd love to talk to you about that afterwards. But here endeth the lesson. Let's pray together. Father, we are mindful of your grace and your favor. You are God and you are good. And you have not only told us what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do, but you've enabled us to do it in your power. Thank you. Continue, Lord, to lead us in the ways of your will and for your great glory. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.